there's just so many different ways and, and different personalities that, that get there. And it, it's tough to really kind of say like what the one X factor is, but I would say one of the things would be consistency. And I think that people have a, a very poor job of evaluating themselves on consistency. So I always think back to that clip on ESPN where LeBron James literally recited pl- verbatim what happened on a play in like the third quarter of a playoff game. I don't think there's many players out there that can recollect, oh, that guy threw me a curveball on a 2-1 count. Right. You talked about the defense. You keep on saying defense, defense, defense. I always think this. like You typically know what you have offensively from a player like a player is once like we want to put him in the lineup because he can hit like we get it but it usually comes down to well where's he gonna play we don't have like that many openings like our best player is playing left or short or third we as coaches as players we always want to play the premier positions but and I agree but that shouldn't be the only position that we play and I think a lot of it is, is ego centered. You know, if, if you're a parent, you always want your kid to play shortstop or, or be the number one pitcher. Or they like, we only pick shortstops. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, he's athlete. Yeah. But also there's some other positions out there. And if he's able to play other positions outside mm-hmm. of shortstop. Yeah. Again, going back to position versatility, the more positions you can play, the better it is for, for your career. And I just think that a lot of times it really does come down to defense because we already pretty much know what's what's going on offensively. Let's finish it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ay, coming in, yeah. Flex, I just wanna win. Yeah, LABB, who we running with? Yeah, two, two, three, three, I'm on 10 again. Yeah, state your name. Jason, what's up, man? What's going on, Spiker? It's, uh, it's been a minute. And you're now here in the flesh. Last I time I was staring at you while you were in Florida, you don't have that glowing tan anymore. <laughs> nope. I'm, uh, I'm adjusted to the winter here in St. Louis, that's for sure. <laughs> and it's been a, we were talking about this uh, before we started, it's been a mild winter so far, so you haven't really experienced the true St. Louis spirit here yet. Exactly. I can handle 30s, but once it gets lower, it's, uh, I don't miss this weather. Guys, what is up? Um, This is a new episode of The Closing Pitch. Jason, um, as promised, from episode 24, How Good Could You Be? Um, He said that he would come back onto the show, and here he is. And I appreciate the time, and I know that you're going to be heading down to Florida soon with spring training and with Manfred's new press release. That's probably good news for you. Oh, yeah. Appreciate you having me. Always enjoyed talking with you, so I'm excited. Were you kind of sweating bullets a little bit with uh, like if it's if this is this actually going to happen? You know, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm a little bit more optimistic than most. I was just preparing like it was going to, and that was more of just confirmation that it's it's going to happen. Um, but you never know. I mean, a lot of things can happen between now and then. But I'm still preparing like it's it's going to start on time. Guys, if you don't know, if you haven't listened to um, episode 24 yet, please do. Um, he goes deep into player development and we talk a lot about data and how things are trending in the professional realm and Jason is um, a minor league coordinator for the Houston Astros uh, can you go in a little bit depth of that I don't even want to like try to explain <laughs> it I don't want to like butcher it and you're like Spiker that's not what I do <laughs> yeah so uh, 
pretty much like a lot of organizations have what they call a field coordinator. We call it the fundamentals coordinator. Um, so for spring training, I'll do the schedule for all the minor league guys. I'll, I'll go to big league spring training and, and help with the, the bench coach and the, their staff with running that spring training and, you know, coach our minor league guys that are up there. And then all throughout the season, I kind of travel around to each uh, affiliate and make sure, um, you know, everything's kind of going according to plan and seeing what we need to adjust and um, communicating with the coaches and the players every day. And um, it's just a little bit of everything. You kind of have your hands in, in each basket. Can you go into like the hierarchy of um, major league organizations? Because whenever I've been in baseball since I've ever started, right? When I picked up, a, when I've ever picked up a ball and I still don't understand, or maybe it's because it, like they try to do it like a corporate structure and um, also names change. Like you just said, like, Oh, we call ours the fundamental guy. Yeah. And then, someone could say it's a field coordinator. Can you kind of go through and how, how that hierarchy works? Yeah. So it, it kind of depends on each organization, like you said. Um, so ours is, is a little bit thinner than most. So you obviously have different departments. So um, from the player acquisition or development side, you may have player acquisition, which is scouting. You have all your scouts over there, advanced scouts, that type of thing. Um, with us on my department is um, player development. You have your your GM who, um, underneath him is the our assistant GM who um, he is also our farm director. Which typically you have multiple people that do those roles, um, and the farm director like just oversees the whole the whole operation. So it's called a farm director, but it's the actual title title is director of player development. So. That's like the guy who's everyone's boss and he'll report to the assistant GM who reports. So technically he's he's the head of minor leagues? Yeah, he's typically the head of minor leagues. Um, and then alongside of him, you may have R&D, uh, so research and development, which they may go into all of those aspects. So they may they may not be in one of those departments because they could do a lot in scouting, a lot in you know, you know, know, game evaluation, certain things like that for the for the major league teams. Um, so they do a little bit of all of that. So on the minor league side, we'll work with them a lot on, um, you know, just different ideas we have that we want to be researched or whatever it might be. Um, so just to recap, so then you have your GM, your um, assistant GM. I'm uh, like trying to think like, like it's like a triangle, right? So, yeah. Okay, go ahead. So GM, assistant GM, yes. farm director, and then you have your coordinators, which is where I am. So um, some teams do it where they have a ton of coordinators. Some some teams have have very minimal. So we have, I think, like three or four total. Some teams have upwards of, you know, 10, 15 to 20. Um, and so, do those coordinators specialize in certain things? Yeah. So like, for example, we'll have like strength and conditioning coordinator or a pitching coordinator hitting. But some teams may have an assistant of this, an assistant of that. We don't typically have it that way. Um, you know, some... Some people may have like a infield coordinator and then a lower level infield coordinator. That's kind of like wrapped up into into my my realm as long as as well as like outfield and base running and those. So it just kind of depends how it's structured. And then um, alongside that is where all the coaches are. So you know I speak with the managers of each of the teams every day, and then the hitting hitting coordinator will speak to all the hitting coaches. The pitching coordinator speak to all the pitching coaches and so that's kind of how ours is structured some some teams may have a couple other layers involved in there or you know they may have three or four pitching coordinators but who who hires and fires those those managers at the minor league levels so it's typically the farm director so farm director like is who I would report to um, in our case the farm director is also our assistant general manager um, so it's kind of a collaboration uh, of those uh, aspects so 
Um, that's, that's part of my, my role is to help develop the managers into, you know, what we project them to, to be, um, and really individualize their own development plan too, because, you know, we always think about, um, player development, but how do we develop coaches? How do we develop people in, in that realm too? So then on player, like acquisitions and player decisions, what, who ends up making those, those choices? So you're talking about like moving players up and, and down. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. like obviously um, mm-hmm. the farm director and the GM will make the decisions on the manager. Like, oh, we really like this guy. So let's yeah. move him up into AAA or mm-hmm. wherever. Yeah. Or we'll hire him as the bench coach for Major League Baseball. Yeah. So it's kind of a, a combination. So the farm director may have some ideas, but it, it, it kind of comes. That's part of one of my roles, um, at least on the position player side is like, okay, we had an injury here. Um, you know, these are a couple options we're looking at, you know, and we kind of have a group of people that may, you know, chime in and, you know, maybe we have a group message and it's, um, you know, it's, it's these three guys, who do you think? This is what we think. This is what we're probably going to go with. Does anybody object? And, and so that's one of my, my responsibilities. And, you know, a lot of times the managers can help us out there too, because, you know, they're around those guys every day. If we're only there, you know, you know, a couple of times a month or whatever it might be, it's kind of hard to, to really see it all. So then what's the role of the manager in hindsight? Like what, what is he, what is his, like even at the major league level down to mm-hmm. rookie ball, what is really his criteria? Cause you were a manager, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it kind of depends. Um, in our organization, you know, they run the daily schedule. They're like the defensive coach, um, the ultimate leader guy, you know, I always say like, they're like the glue that holds the operation together. So they have to be really on the same page with the hitting and pitching coach and and be their backbone because, you know, a lot of times if a player doesn't want to uh, maybe do what the pitching coach or hitting coach is asking, he may need somebody to talk to and you got to make sure that the the manager's on the same page and and can help push those, those things forward, you know, especially because players move up and down a lot. You may have, you know, my first year, I think we had 65 different players. So you don't necessarily always get to know the guys that well right away. So um, everybody kind of working as a unit is um, very important. And I think that that, that all kind of falls on the manager to kind of set that, that tone. What are you saying about the, what are you seeing on this trend where um, major league teams, I don't know if you can answer. If you can't answer, just like Spike, that's a dumb question. Don't ask that ever again, because <laughs> I'm going to get fired for <laughs> if I answer this question. But like, yeah. what do you, what do you see in this trend with like, Bodie and those guys getting picked up and they had no professional experience whatsoever in baseball, but now they're in major league baseball. And I mean, from frankly, I think it's pretty cool. Um, Mm -hmm. You get to see a guy that's put a lot of his heart and soul into something and um, he has a successful product. And now major league baseball is now entering these guys into the league. Yeah. You know, I think it just, it just kind of depends what the organization is um, after and what they feel like um, could be the biggest benefit, you know, for us, particularly, we have people that have never worked in baseball before at any level, um, people all over the world, because, you know, people that maybe worked in rugby or European soccer can maybe give us a little bit different of a perspective than, you know, even somebody owning a, a private baseball facility that that's progressive. So, you know, we, we try to look at everything from, you know, every perspective that we possibly can. And we know that there's blinders and everything. So, um, it's, it's, it's awesome that, you know, the, the industry is allowing, you know, people of all sorts of different backgrounds, a chance to, you know, prove themselves and, and see what value they can bring. And I think that's what it all comes down to. You know, it's, it's not necessarily just about fitting in. It's about, you know, what value can you bring the organization that they, that they don't already have going to this rugby route? 
we talked about this two weeks ago in lunch and I didn't really like really wanted, I didn't dive into it. I wish I would have asked more questions. Our conversation, mm-hmm. you know how our conversations go. They end up going <laughs> completely. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about baseball and other things. Yeah. We're talking about like stocks and investments. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's this rugby thing? Why, why did you guys choose to bring on a, like a rugby person? You know, I, I think it, it kind of depended and it, it was, it seemed like a good fit just to, by the way, the, the technology that they were using in the weight room and just the way that, you know, some of these guys were thinking, you know, like I can remember my first time, um, meeting one of the guys that we had hired in rugby and, you know, I was actually going over video, like he just kind of introduced himself in the middle of a meeting and we were going over video of, of a player's like secondary lead um or just lead in general and he was like wondering like something as simple as like why are his feet still like why doesn't why aren't his feet more stagnant and i just like just certain things that you just kind of oversee just because we've been grained to think that that's you know that's just normal that's how we've done it well ricky henderson did it he was a standstill right it's, it's exactly so it's like baseball has you know become really progressive but there's still certain things that, that we have our blinders on for and you know it's, it's been largely beneficial for for myself as well just to kind of take a step back and actually question why we do things the way that we do so these guys are, is it normal now where we're trying to bring in a totally different perspective altogether or is it still kind of like we're we don't want to go too far off in the deep end. It kind of depends. Like uh, we have a pretty good balance. Like we have guys that have played in the major leagues for, for a long time. We have guys that never worked in baseball before, you know, uh, we, well, what's the work dynamic on that? Yeah. Like, I could only imagine, you know yeah. how, you know how we are with baseball mm-hmm. people. Like we can yeah. get pretty tribal yep. and get very, our egos and get peacock where we ch- puff out our chest. Mm-hmm. Yep. How, what does that like mean? Like, all right guys, we have, we brought in I don't even know what his name is. Let's just say Zane. I think that's a good rugby name. <laughs> this is Zane, and he is now our strength and conditioning guy, and um, he has no experience. He's from Europe. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I I've always thought about it like at first it was it's it probably was weird. It was probably weird that you know even myself got hired in who didn't play professionally and was a younger guy. And so I think that I used to be that guy. And so I think now that the industry has kind of changed, it at first was probably odd, and now it's kind of like oh all right whatever. And you just kind of you kind of move on and you, you get to try to know the person. Um, but I definitely think there's probably an adjustment period at first. But I I think for me it wasn't that that big of a deal just because I was that type of person um, at one point or another in, in this process. Cause the goal, I guess the end goal for, and I, I think you can only talk with the, about the Houston Astros, but the end goal is to try to get the best product onto the field, right? Yes. And is it championships or is it just making sure that you have an entertaining product for your fans? Well, I think it kind of depends. Like, you know, we, we would like to say championships, but you can't always con- control everything. So it's it's just looking at uh, a player from every perspective and seeing how we can help them from, from every regard, whether it's mental, physical, you know, on the field, off the field. And, you know, hopefully, you know, what we produce ends up with, with championships. But, you know, we always try to look at it as more process-oriented goals instead of outcome-oriented because if we're doing everything that we can, you know, hopefully the, the championships – are the, you know, what comes with it. Minor leagues. We talked about it briefly with um, Manford coming out with that new statement saying spring training's heading in, heading, it's heading in the right direction, right? Mm-hmm. Minor leagues have been cut back dramatically. Mm-hmm. Why, what's, what's the game plan? What's the thought process behind that? Are we going to see these minor league teams coming back or is this just, is this just a new, we're living with the new norm right now? 
No, I, I think we're probably living with the, the new norm. Um, you know, in our organization, it, after the 2017 season, we had kind of already trimmed it down a little bit. So, is that um, a cost standpoint? Um, or is it, it more like this guy's not going to make it? Why are we wasting our time with with uh, and wasting his time on this? You know, it's probably a combination of a lot of different things. Cost is is maybe part part of the reason, but um, I just think at, at some point there's just so many players, it just becomes a little bit difficult to really have the impact that that you need to have on on a group of people when there's just a lot more people kind of around. Um, so. You know, I think about the lower levels and there's just so many of the lower levels that, that people maybe don't realize. So just to give you an example, like if you're an international player and you um, sign when you can on July 2nd, which is the signing date, you then will play in a like kind of like a practice league called the Tricky League. And then the next year, you'll probably play in the Dominican Summer League. So wait, where's the Tricky League at? The Tricky League is just in the Dominican. It's, it's more so just practice games. Like there's not even a box score or anything okay. like that. Um, kind of like a, a college fall ball type of thing. Um, and, and then, then that, and that season's what, like two months? Yeah, probably about two months. Okay. And then, um, you and know, it, what's the time frame? What do they usually play that? So usually if, if there's a J2 signing, it'll be, you know, July, August in that ra- realm. And you'll just play on the, the fields at the academies. And, um, you know, some teams sign a lot more international players than others. So some teams may play a lot more games than the others, Got it. you know? Um, so it just kind of depends because, you have a certain amount of money that you're allotted. And if you spend a lot of it on one player, you may have a smaller class or maybe you spread it out. So your class is bigger that year. Okay. Um, so if you're um, an international player, that's probably your first year. Then your next year you play in the Dominican summer league, you know, then you may come. And that's like a three month time frame, four month Yeah. Time frame. Yeah. It's more of a longer season. Yeah. And, exactly. and you're actually keeping box score at that yeah, point. It's a, you know, their first like, you know, regular season. And then um, for us, we have the GCL or for the teams in Arizona, the Arizona league, so then the players would come there, um, and some teams have you know maybe two DSL teams, Dominican Summer Leagues, or two GCL. So it may take you you know one to two to three years even to navigate through that. And then you know some teams have you know a couple other rookie ball affiliates. So you may have the Appalachian League and then the um, New York Penn League. And this is all before you even get to single A. And what type of players would you say are in that in that bucket? Um, it it kind of depends. It's um. It's a combination of international players, but also a combination of high school kids that were drafted. But like skill set wise, oh, like I, w- I want to go more specific, like skill set wise, kind of give a more of a context to the conversation. Um, it you know it, it kind of depends. So like a lot of these guys have you know maybe one or two elite you know um, major league tools. Some maybe are more balanced and have a little bit of, of all of them. Um, and it's just sometimes teaching them about the game because some some guys you know maybe weren't as fortunate as as some of us to play tournaments a lot growing up so it's it's just kind of a different structure and a lot of the players are really raw so the the age range is typically you know 16 to probably 20 in that in that range um so when I think about that it's like you know I at 16 you know I'm a junior in high school or whatever it is so um you know instead of high school baseball for for some of the international kids this is like what we have to kind of teach them the game um, so it's a lot of, a lot of development, you know, a little bit less, uh, you know, games compared to the rest of the minor leagues, but, um, and are these guys getting paid for this or is it all amateur or what is Well, it? yeah, because they're, they're all signed. So it's just like, you know, they could be in triple a, they could be in double a, it's just, um, you know, they're in our organization and, um, you know, they just, they get the, the same treatment as everyone else. Gotcha. Okay. And so then now you're getting into single A. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit more about that single A pl- type of player. They have yeah. the fundamentals down at that point. 
You know, it kind of depends. So um, I would say, um, and this is my personal opinion, people may, may disagree. I would say like, you know, short season, like the New York Penn League is um, equivalent to, you know, your power five conferences. Um, I, I would say a lot of hitters maybe struggle that, 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 you know, were really good at the power five level, uh, more so because it's their first time hitting with a wood bat. There's so many different elements involved. Um, so then I would say, you know, moving on from that, like low A would be, um, above the, you know, SEC level. Um, some people would say would probably disagree, but, um, I think that, you know, low A is very raw. So you may see a lot of velo, you may see, you know, mid to upper nineties, even guys throwing a hundred, but maybe they don't throw any strikes or they don't have a secondary pitch, or you may see a guy with elite power, but he, you know, he's striking out a lot or making a bunch of errors. So, so when you mean secondary pitch, he has a secondary pitch, but it's not an effective secondary pitch. Right. He's not locating it consistently. Mm-hmm. It could have some really good break, but it's not necessarily right. up to par at the major league level. Cause you're comparing, mm-hmm. tell me if I'm wrong. You're comparing everything at a major league standard. Correct. Yeah. So when, when players are drafted or signed and, you know, we're thinking about their future, it's not necessarily the level that they're at because we're not trying to make the best minor league players. We're trying to make the best major league players. So, so even when you scout, when a scout goes to see a kid, he's scouting with the eyes of if this kid got into an MLB stadium, how would he do? Correct. Yes. And, and a lot of it is, you know, future where we think this guy could be in the future because, you know, is this guy seem like he's more maxed out? Is he, you know, what, what can we do from a development standpoint to get him to, you know, actually get to that point? Um, and I think that that's the, the toughest part sometimes when you think about a lot of elite players that, that maybe don't get drafted is, you know, maybe they were the best player in their particular league or their particular college conference, but, you know, maybe their tools don't really project, you know, at that level, but maybe a player who didn't quite perform as well, you know, maybe gets drafted or gets picked higher that, you know, maybe has more upside. And, you know, when you think about like um, a long-term investment, that's that's why sometimes the, those decisions are made. So would you say that every guy in the draft, there's a possibility? Like that's the that's the goal is like, okay, Absolutely. even if it's like number 32, mm-hmm. I see some type of upside here where his, one of these skills that he has could play on a major league field right now. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes you may even see where, you know, a guy maybe doesn't have that one particular tool, but maybe he has a little bit of all of them. So it's worth like, you know, maybe, you know, if he gets a little bit, you know, more in this area or this area, it's like, you know, he has enough to get him there because he's more well-rounded of a player. Maybe he could be a utility player, you know, all sorts of different, different factors with that. Where does COVID put, um, COVID put the draft right now? You know, honestly, not not too sure. It's it's almost <laughs> like it's almost like everyone's taking it a step at a time. It's like um, you know, last year at this time, you know, everything was on schedule. Then COVID hits, and it's like everything was kind of you know, all right, spring training comes first for this. Now we're going to figure out the draft. Now we're going to figure out here. And so I think that that's kind of what what boat we're we're kind of working with now is you know, spring training is first on the order of operations. You know, once we get through that, we kind of get an idea of what's happening then maybe we'll move on to the draft. Um, but that's just kind of the, the vibe that I get from it. Do you think you guys are going to use all your all your rounds at this point? Or is it going to be one of those things where eh, like we have no idea what's going to happen with this minor league, so we're just yeah. probably going to draft just a f- just the guys that we know is going to make an impact? I don't know. It's it's so wide open. It's so wide I, open. I, I would honestly say that um, probably most scouts are just – 
still going through their rankings like they normally would and then you know whenever we get there we'll kind of have to to see what the you know what the you know guidelines are around all that you know so i think it's still scouting the way it's always been and then we'll have the rankings and then you know kind of kind of see where it goes on draft day this guy this came up in my head because um, I, I went through the draft process, didn't get picked up, but went through the draft process. And from a player's side, I've never under, never realized or understood the organizational side of things. Mm-hmm. So on draft day, what what's going on during that time? You know, it's tough. Like I, I haven't been really too involved in, in most of that, you know, just because we're typically like, um, you know, like in season or whatnot. So it, it kind of seems like a, a lot of the homework's already kind of done ahead of time. And then it just, it's kind of like, you know, where each guy gets picked. And, and is it a war room? Like, is it like we're, we're in a conference room yeah. and we're listening to the different calls and then mm-hmm. we're crossing off names and then we end up making our decision when it comes to, comes yeah. to our choice. Yeah. I know what a lot of teams do is they have like whiteboards with magnets and you know, they have, you know, the name on the magnet, but then they have all these little, um, you know, symbols and letters and, and colors just to kind of organize it all, you know, just because, you know, baseball has so many rounds and there's so many players and you just want to make sure you have it all organized in kind of like a simple way. Um, obviously this last year was crazy because it was remote. Um, but that's, that's typically how a lot of teams do it with, with the magnets. Cause it's just kind of the easiest to, to organize. Minor league players have not played a season and you're it's safe to say a year and a half when yep, they first year and step half. on step on the field. Mm-hmm. Are you nervous about spring training and getting out there and then seeing seeing the guys and like the evaluation side? Because like it's almost like you have to go in with a different lens, mm-hmm. and you can't be as critical, right? Because yeah. they haven't stepped on a field, right? So you know, kind of the way that that we look at it, or, or myself really, because I'm you know kind of preparing for the scheduling it is. You know, trying to organize, you know, our groups around this year being around like what these guys were allowed to do, you know, based on their um, living environments, you know, during this time. So, for example, you know, the Dominican Republic just instituted a new curfew where, you know, a lot of these guys can't really even get outside to a field as to where, you know, certain states around the United States, it's it's not that strict. So certain guys are allowed to get more work done. So I don't know that it's necessarily fair to have those guys in the same group. Um, so it's a lot of legwork on finding what, what each guy is really doing and then pairing them up to kind of give them a good buildup because, you know, when you really think about, you know, during this time, you know, you may be getting your, your work and maybe you're going to get, get, um, maybe you're going to hit for an hour or, you know, lift for an hour, but you're not standing out in the sun all day for multiple days in a row and doing, you know, work. So I think simply just getting used to being in the heat all day, you know, that, that we're normally used to, I think will, will even wear, wear people out. So what I'm trying to do is, you know, make it more gradual, maybe give more off days, more half days, more meetings, um, you know, just to kind of get everybody's bodies just kind of, you know, readjusted to that, that whole environment. Do, is injury rate start is popping into your head? Like, is are those is those conversations happening because they haven't been exposed to high intense situations? Yeah, so it's, like it's so hard. Like you're in a cage for a full year and a half, and, and air conditioning. As, yeah, as much heat, as, yeah, or, and as much as you're trying to simulate it, like I always find that funny with the simulation. Like mm-hmm. you can't really simulate that experience, right? So 
is that a conversation that's being had? Yeah, and it's conversation. It's been a lot of research that we've we've kind of done on stoppages of play and just the history of sports. You know, every lockout that's been, you know, other pandemics, you know, worldwide, and um, looking at the injury rates and what type of injuries. So typically, it's a lot of soft tissue injuries, hamstrings, Achilles, pulled muscles, pulled, or yeah, pulled muscles, tears. Oh, really? So. Um, our number one thing right now would be just to try to get guys healthy and adjusted. Um, and hopefully, you know, we can develop them as the players too. But, you know, if we, if we hit the gas too hard, you know, too quickly, it's these guys' bodies aren't going to be ready. So, you know, this is where technology can help us out a lot too. Uh, our guys wear, um, these catapult sensors, um, underneath their Jersey that, you know, a lot of European soccer and basketball players wear. And, you know, it, it gives us a little bit of information on, you know, which guys are, you know, more worn out than others. It's, um, it's, it's a huge tool, especially during this time. Is catapult um, kind of like whoop? Um, a little bit like it. Um, whoop kind of measures, seems like it measures your recovery. This one kind of measures, you know, in game, you know, kind of what, what your body's doing. Um, but, you know, it's, it's more so just when you're at the field and, and, and that type of thing. The dig down a little bit deeper on the, on, the, on like the catapult side of things is, is it, can they measure like injuries and everything like that, like muscle function, or is it, or is it less than that? Like, I'm trying to get my, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. Thing. Yeah, it, it, it kind of depends. Um, it depends how often they wear. If we know, uh, you and know, it's something that you wear around your chest. So, so basically, guys may have an undershirt, and there's a little pocket on the back with a little sensor, you know, maybe a couple inches big, and it'll go, you know, right underneath your your neck on on your back. Um, and it's a little pocket. The players really don't really even feel that they're wearing it. Um, and it can tell us like it's it's more of like a GPS, like how much did you run, how fast, what was the intensity, um, and then hopefully it's a player that we've had for long enough to where we know what his his regular numbers are like. Um, so then we know if uh, if Spiker hit four doubles and I struck out four times, you may be a little bit more tired tomorrow than I would be because you were going home to second all those times and I was just walking back to the dugout. <laughs> so, so it, it helps us in, in, in that regard because we may say like, okay, this guy's played eight games in a row. This other guy's played eight games in a row. Who needs the off day? But it, it might be different or, you know, you may be playing in, in the outfield and have to sprint after a bunch of, you know, doubles in the gap and, you know, if I'm playing first base, I maybe didn't have to get as involved with, with some of that. So, um, there's just so much, um, there's so much just within each game and each individual. So, so that's where that, that can help us. And, and hopefully it's a tool for us. Um, you know, come spring training time. I feel like this is a good segue into the conversation we had two weeks ago on switching positions mm -hmm. and how you guys are thinking about position switching. I feel like it's probably catapult has given you a lot more information about we all know the whole if you can't pick it on the middle infield that's outfield is where middle infielders die right that's right. the whole that's the whole joke right mm -hmm. but now you guys are thinking about it kind of totally different where you're bringing an outfielder into the infield mm -hmm. yeah so it, it kind of depends if it's a guy that profiles like he has a, a strong arm and he has um you know, kind of elite speed laterally. It's, you know, those are two of the harder things to, to teach. Um, and, and hands and, and actions like that are, are obviously very, very important. But, you know, in a development aspect, that's probably a little bit, you know, easier developed than, than teaching someone, you know, range or arm strength. Um, so it, it just, it kind of depends if there's players that kind of fit the profile, but, you know, more so than anything, I always look at, you know, position versatility as, you know, it's, it's better for the guy's careers because, 
you never know who's going to be injured on what day or who's kind of banged up. Um, and you know, if you're an infielder and, and you can, you can play a little bit of outfield, even if you're a really good infielder, you know, you never know what that'll do for you. And, you know, maybe for a month period, you have to play left field or center. Um, and that gets you in the lineup more, which, you know, can, can impact your career, but more than anything, you know, add value to the team and the organization. And, and that's what it's all about. Cause your goal is to try to get those guys to the show however yeah. you can. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I'm sure, which I find funny because when you get to the younger levels, a player's like, oh, that's not my position. Mm -hmm. And they, they fight you tooth and nail. But yep. when the stakes are a little bit higher of you making it to the show and possibly making um, half a mil mm -hmm. <laughs> from the get-go or even more half than a mil, yeah. I don't know what the minimum is now. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, the incentive is a little bit better. Like, hey, Absolutely. you want to play shortstop? <laughs> yes, I want to yeah. play shortstop. I was hoping you'd ask me. Yep. And I, I would say that the thing about it that, you know, our perspective is now is, you know, obviously everyone's goal and dream is to get to the show, but the hardest thing to do is to stay there. And the more positions you can play, the more valuable you'll be because, you know, maybe you're not an everyday player. Maybe you're, you know, coming off the bench, but you know, if there's a chance to pinch hit, but then, you know, they need to put somebody in left field and, and you've only ever played shortstop in your life. It's, it's a little bit tougher to feel confident in doing that. But, you know, if you have some experience doing that, um, before you get to that level, you know, then maybe the, the manager feels comfortable doing that. And, you know, maybe you, you get a couple hits and you stick around for longer. And then maybe that turns into years, which, you know, you never know where it, where it goes from there. And, and, you know, when you just think about value, what's, what's the, the downside in learning how to play more positions? What's the, what's the actual, um, average range of someone staying in the show when they get called up? You know, I'm not sure. Um, I don't know this, but my guess would be like, MLB careers on average are maybe three years long. Um, that's not very long. That's not very long. And, you know, we want to think about the guys that have played for 15, 20 years. But what about that guy, you know, when you were watching a game and he came off the bench for his major league debut and maybe that was the, you know, the only time he played in the show. Um, and so you just, you just never know how long it's going to last. And, you know, I just, I, I think about just, just playing the odds. If the, the more positions you play, the, the more you can do on a field, the, the, the more that, you know, people may need you in, in different realms. It's that probability, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many dudes that end up getting it to the show. Mm -hmm. they're, they're there for that September call up. And then the next thing you know, we never hear their name ever again. Yep. Or even like the guy that's the pinch runner mm -hmm. for the playoff push. Yep. Um, I, I forgot what Cardinals team it was, but um, there was a, it was a story where one of the guys who was a huge pinch runner during that World Series run. Mm-hmm. And he didn't make the squad for the NLCS and they ended up winning. He was at the Fridays across the street <laughs> for the Bush stadium, but he was in the NLDS. Yeah, yeah. So he had to watch the NLCS on a, in a yeah. Fridays while the, his team's playing mm -hmm. and they make the world series. And he ends up getting the call to come back onto the squad. But yep. I just find that so weird. Yep. That you have, like, what industry do you have a job? <laughs> you're at the highest level and you are winning, helping a team go for a championship. And then they say, oh, we don't need you for these two weeks. We're right. going to furlough you. Yep. <laughs> and then we're going to ask, we're going to hire you back when the when World Series yeah. starts. <laughs> it's crazy. And, and it, it just can show you how quickly things can change and how ruthless it can be, you know, and that's just within days, you know, maybe like, 
you know, two days ago you were the man scoring, scoring the run. And then two days later, you're, you're not even on the roster, but that just tells you how competitive it is and, and how I many mean, good the reward, players are. Though, I mean, mm-hmm. the reward that you get for being in the show. Yep. And then obviously if you even make a debut, you have a name and you can put that on the resume, mm-hmm. even in minor league baseball. That's a big thing. If you put put down like oh i was with the houston astros or the st louis cardinals mm-hmm. or i played in independent baseball whatever the case may be because it means you're a top percenter right right but that reward and that risk is there's mm-hmm. it's it's a very funny little line that guys play because then once they're done they got to figure out okay what do i do next right absolutely how did you how did you handle that when and, and obviously each guy has their own story on playing because everyone thinks that they're going to the show right mm-hmm. i mean that was the big thing like yeah everyone everyone raised their hand like who wants to play major league baseball and all of us raise our hand yeah like yeah. all right maybe none of you are going to be making it to the show yep what did you how did you approach it at the when because we were talking about tommy john you had tommy john mm-hmm. um and you went through that whole medical sales experience yeah like what how did you handle that you know I definitely can realize now like I, I wasn't good enough. And I think sometimes it's it's hard to admit that or, or look at it face on. Um, but, you know, I, I get to spend time around the, the best players in the world. And it's it's pretty clear to me at this point. But, um, you but, know, by the way, my my uh, uh, my mother-in-law asked like, oh, why don't you play baseball anymore? And I was like, I wasn't good enough. <laughs> yeah. And literally the conversation just, just ended. ended like it was like dead silence at the dinner table. Like everyone didn't know what to say. Like, uh, yeah. And I was like, no, it's all right, guys. Like, yeah. it's fine. Don't worry about it. Like, yeah. they think about it as like a corporate 500 job. Like, oh, I got fired. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough and it's, it's, it's a wild experience. But, but yeah, so I, uh, when I had Tommy John, I was, uh, in medical sales for an internship, uh, while I was rehabbing. And, um, I always knew I wanted to coach, but, you know, that experience for me definitely made me realize I need to, you know, make whatever sacrifices I do need to, to, to make it work financially as well. So, and then, so you, you had to figure out those numbers and then you're like, yeah, this is definitely doable. Yeah. It was like, all right, I need to, you know, live, like on, live on the edge for, for a while and kind of bet on myself and, and see, um, you know, if I can, if I can do this for, you know, jobs with no salary for, for multiple years and see if I could do lessons on the side and work camps and, um, you know, all that experience is, you know, what was awesome. I'm, I've met a lot of great people, learned a lot of great, valuable life lessons. And, um, it's kind of led me to where I am today. Did you have that choice? Like, did you have that, um, inclination when you were playing or did you just, you didn't, you were just playing and having fun and had no idea what you wanted to do? Well, you know, I, I, I think I wasn't sure, you know, I, I definitely wanted to work in sports. I didn't know if I wanted to work in a front office or if I wanted to be a coach. Um, and I think, you know, going through the, the college baseball playing experience, I, I would always kind of put myself in the, the coach's perspective a lot and, and wonder if that was kind of for me. And, and at the time, I was like, you know what, I want to give this a shot and, and see if this is something I can do. Um, and I definitely think that that kind of helped get me kind of into it to, mm-hmm. to start it. Um, and you know, I think when I had Tommy John for, for that year period, you know, I'm going to the field every day, but I'm, I'm not able to perform. So it was my first time sitting on the other side of the table. Um, and I think that that perspective kind of helped my like coaching thoughts kind of start sooner than, than when you normally do as a player. Um, so I think that that was like kind of the intro into like, okay, I want to do this, but what does that mean? What are my thoughts? What are my beliefs? Um, what can I take from this experience I currently have? And, um, that was actually one large benefit of actually having Tommy John was going through that experience. 
We talked about catapult and how soccer players are using that that system, right? Um, but what's really interesting about soccer that I'm surprised, in my opinion, I've talked about this on the podcast. Um, I, I don't know if it ever will happen, but it's very interesting. Is this U18 type of situation where we're starting to see colleges getting a little bit more inflated on on pricing, and it's it's expensive to go to school, right? Mm-hmm. And then the whole Cerveza sickness. And people are now staying at home on a Zoom call and they're actually paying a school for Zoom when they could actually go online, go to YouTube, go to Kane Academy, mm-hmm. or even buy master classes online and get the same education that they might get from a university. Do you think there's ever a chance that Major League Baseball will ever go down the U18 route or U16? Or do you think that's far-fetched? Um, my personal opinion would be it's kind of far-fetched just because we already have like a really strong system as far as college baseball and junior college and, and high school travel ball. So the, the segue is kind of already there as far as, um, the way the development systems are happening. And when you really look at it from this perspective of major league baseball teams are taking coaches from these academies that are developing these players and hiring them themselves, it kind of shows you that the, the structure is already there and it's already very successful and a uh, very good industry. So I don't, I personally don't see where it, it would, it would be necessary for these organizations to continue going that route. Cause they're not even, they're not in that business, right? It's right. not, it's not where they're going to get the profit. They're going to mm-hmm. get the profit from the big money is going to be from the TV deals and getting people into the stadium and watching their product on right. the field. Right. Mm-hmm. So I guess it, it makes sense. And you're saying that the youth baseball amateur side, these big organizations like the Rawlings Tigers or mm-hmm. who put, you substitute the name in the national programs, mm-hmm. they have good enough coaches that are supplying these players with the information that they need. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's, it, it's already there and um, it's like kind of lucky for, for all these, these, organizations that that we have something as as good as that and uh, so it's almost like major league baseball is benefiting from it without yeah. the cost mm-hmm. they're kind of reducing the cost of reducing their bottom line right. and they're still able to get the get the talent the talent's not teetering mm-hmm. off it's actually upticking right yeah and, and i think there's there's just a lot of other things that um you know major league baseball has to, to think about with that too. Like there's a player's union, like where does that fit in? Is, are they technically signed players? Like I think there's so much in, in the language of, of all that too, that that plays a, an impact in, in some of those decisions. Do, have you ever looked at like how premier league has set that up all or MLS? Have you ever looked at that? No, I've never really looked at the, the, the fine details, but like I know it's that like amateur status or if it's like pro status. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's probably some, some combination of, of what, what you're saying. With Cause you guys had bro. draft and follows a long time ago, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What the draft and follow is we draft you and then you end up going to school. Yeah. And I think, um, hockey actually kind of works that way a little bit, you know, okay. so, so you may draft a guy, but you know, they're using, you know, college hockey as, as kind of a, a minor league system in, in some regard with that too, as to where obviously baseball and most sports are the opposite where, you know, you may be drafted after you perform and, and have proven yourself in college. So with, the decrease of minor league teams, you're, you've already said like, yeah, this is the new norm. There's probably not going to be an increase of teams. It's actually going to be a decrease of teams and really constrict it. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that there's going to be more players at the junior college level that could possibly get drafted? Yeah, I think it's going to make all the levels a lot, a lot stronger and a lot better. I think the number one most impactful thing would probably be um, independent ball. 
So I think that a lot of players that would normally be be taken in the later rounds um, that are good enough, like there's quite a few stories of guys taken in the later rounds that, that make it to the major leagues. I think that they will then transition over to independent ball until – you know, they prove that they're good enough to then be picked up by by a major league team. So um, I think that independent ball is going to be, you know, increasingly, you know, more competitive. And then um, is Major League Baseball affiliating with any of these major uh, these independent ball? Teams? Yeah. For, uh, for those that are listening that don't know what independent baseball is, it's just like how it sounds. It's independent from affiliated baseball it doesn't mean that it's necessarily a bad brand of baseball there's some really bad independent teams and players that shouldn't probably be playing professional baseball but then there's a lot of really good independent ball yeah, teams really like good. i remember playing against john rodriguez who was in the world series about five years ago and he was playing with the wichita wing nuts and i was like holy smokes this is crazy yeah it, it's crazy like you know there's good players everywhere and, and it's tough to always measure them um you know at, at every level you know like you brought up junior college you know i think the pandemic is going to make junior college baseball better than it's ever been and um, I've always been a huge advocate of junior college baseball. I, I coached at Heartland Community College for, for one semester. And, you know, I, I do see the benefits of that level. And, you know, you see a ton of talent. And now it's going to be, you know, even more talent because you're going to see a lot of freshmen that, that maybe don't don't um, get the playing time that they wanted at the, at the four-year school they were going to go to um, just because now you're competing against guys not only three years older than you, but now four years. And, you know, that's a place where, you know, a lot of times you can get playing time. It's more affordable. You know, there's just a lot of benefits to it, and uh, I would be um, like a huge advocate for for junior college baseball. And I think there's going to be a ton of great players now. How how does a scout see a high school player? Like, I've, do they go to high school events, or do they they get they they rely on their network to really give them an idea on high school players? Um, it's a combination. So. Um, you know, I think all the teams have scouts that, that spread out to a lot of the events. And then they also have their, their own network because they need to know all the ins and outs about each guy. Um, and I a mean, lot of that's that. a big task. Like you mm -hmm. have, you so have many. high school baseball, you have junior college baseball. I mean, junior college baseball in of itself, it's a beast because there's so many different teams, right? Mm -hmm. And very spread out as well. Yeah. And then you, obviously you have your division three, division two and division one. I mean, that's a big task. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a wide network. And, you know, especially depending on what area of the country you're scouting, you know, you may have way more teams. Like, for example, California, I think, has like 110 junior colleges. So, no way. Um, you know, maybe certain, certain teams have multiple scouts that just cover, you know, California. So it kind of depends how the organizations are structured. I think, um, you know, front offices – Front offices have like added um, what we would maybe say like an advanced scout to to maybe dive through some of the numbers a little bit more to give some type of baseline. But you know, I think that that it'll never be lost to see players play in person, and there's just so much that you can find out about a guy you know in person. Because your your scouting structure, um, tell me if these terms are wrong. It might be just slang that I've heard, just being in a dugout and mm -hmm. like, oh, did you see that guy? He has a Bluetooth headset on. That's a <laughs> scout. <laughs> yeah. Um, bird dog and then area and is there like a district guy too like how i just butchered that please it, explain so it kind of depends um i don't i don't spend too much time on, on with the scouting side but um i think each organization is a little bit different so we have um like from the top down would be 
you know, your scouting director or your assistant GM who is in player acquisition, who makes those decisions. And like, he's at the front office. He's at the big club. He's a, like for you, mm-hmm. it'd be, he's in Houston. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then he may travel around and, and see a bunch of these guys, but you may have your area supervisors who, you know, he has his area scouts underneath him and the area scouts may see a guy and write a report and, and may say something like, Hey, like, I really like this guy. I've seen him a bunch. Like maybe you should fly in and check this guy out and get your thoughts on him too. Okay. So right now we have the GM, we have the area supervisor, and then, and then, the, then you have area scouts below that guy. Mm-hmm. And then what's after that? Um, it depends. Like I, th- like, like you said, some teams may have bird dog scouts. Uh, some people may not even have that. It may just be the relationships that they all build. And bird dog scouts are the guys that show up for like an inning and then they leave. The the bird dog scouts are a lot of times like uh, maybe somebody who runs an academy or works for, um, you know, maybe he's a high school coach and he's maybe works for a specific team. And if he comes across a guy who will just recommend it to that particular scout, just in case that scout doesn't already know about the guy anyways. Um, I don't know that. I don't know if we, we have those in, in our organization or not. I know a lot of organizations do have those. Um, but it kind of depends. But along with the the scouts, you also have like your advanced scouts who are also maybe just looking at video of these guys and then looking at their numbers. So area um, scout, then advanced scouts below that. So they'll kind of be on the same way, same wavelength. Okay. So they'll kind of work hand in hand. So you know we may want to get an evaluation from you know a numbers perspective, also a video perspective, and also like in person. Um, that way you can get you know different different views and opinions with different different people because you know maybe maybe you're biased on one particular characteristic that you really like but you know maybe someone else feels different so it's important to have you know multiple sets of eyes on these guys just to would the advanced scout be like a guy that's really big in the analytics and video Mm -hmm, he's not necessarily looking at the player on the field or he, he, he would be looking at it on like video. So oh, okay, um, got you. like, for example, he may watch video of that, um, you know, Mizzou play on the sec network, um, and, and maybe break down a guy's swing and, and see how it projects. Um, or he may just get video that the scout saw in person and then take a, take a peek at it and implement it into, to the scouting evaluation side of it all. So would your decision makers be the area scout or the guy above that? The, the guy above that probably makes the, the final call and the final rankings, but he relies typically heavily on the, on those those scouts to, to kind of formulate the, the opinion, but he ultimately has the, the final say. So when you're seeing scouts in the stands, it's those area guys that are really making the evaluations and um, making the recommendations. So it's a combination because they may start it out and then they may invite their, you know, their boss to come down and see that player, particular player too. So you may see multiple guys from the same organization at the at the same game because you know they want to get each other's opinion on it when it's you know that that far down the road but another thing you may see for for really high profile players would be you know there's a lot of agents at the games too um, because the agents also want to make sure that they're signing the top players. And so they also have to do their, their own scouting in, in some regards. Oh, so they have their own scouts. So mm-hmm. it's like a literally a whole ecosystem of, yeah. So a lot of times they may already know which guys and they don't necessarily need to evaluate them. Like they're going to sign them to be a major league player in the terms like that, like a baseball team would, but they may need to do that more as like a recruiting pitch because when you think about the major league baseball draft, they don't get to choose where they go. The team chooses them. But when you're talking about an agent, the agent, the, the player is allowed to choose where he wants to go. 
So then it kind of becomes like like college um, recruiting. recruiting process where you do need to evaluate the player, but you also need to recruit them and tell them what you can do for them and, and all those things as well. Yeah, because I guess it's like an investment for them. It's like a penny stock. Mm-hmm. Basically, I'm, for sure. I'm investing into a penny stock and hopefully this, this thing will be Google. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yep. Tell me what's going on with San Diego Padres, man. What is What are they doing? It seems like they're eliminating all their hedges. They're burning all the boats. Yeah. Let's go all in on this thing. Are you guys, as as Major League Baseball, like the teams, like looking at like, oh Jesus, that literally just happened? I, they, they got all the they got all those arms. Mm-hmm. They, they've had a lot of prospects for a lot of a lot, for a long time. Like in uh, in twenty seventeen, um, when I was in in Quad Cities, which is Low A, I remember Fernando Tatis Jr. on on the other team and. I remember like thinking that this guy is going to be so good for the game. He brings a lot of energy. He's so exciting, extremely talented, and um, like he's fun to watch. And um, it's it's really good to to have someone in like like him, you know, be be at the front of the game. So, do you think that they're gonna make a push, like a hard push against LA? I don't know. I mean, I, both, I guess you can't really say because yeah, I mean, like, both teams are, are yeah, pretty elite. But I who mean, knows? and also you're like, well, I. Yeah, screw them. I want to make sure that our team's in the World Series. So <laughs> yeah. I, get, I, get, I guess I I guess I get it right now. Yeah. Um, distractions are at an all-time high. What would be a priority list for a person who's wanting to reach this, this MLB level or college level power five type of situation? Because everyone, if it's co- if a guy that wants to play college, he wants to go D1, D1 or bust, right? Mm-hmm. What would be a priority list for you um, if you were a player? You know, I think sometimes we look more in the wrong direction of the outcome. Like we've, we feel like our goal is to be division one, which I was in, in that realm at that age too. But I think a lot of times it needs to be more process oriented. And I, and I say that and people will think like, okay, well I work hard. Um, you know, I lift five times a week. I do this. And I think that a lot of times what's overlooked is like what's happening within that, you know, okay. If you're playing catch, you know, if you're an infielder and you're playing catch five times a week, what is your catch play like? You know, and then, you know, if you asked every single player in a room, if there's a room of a hundred players who works hard, every single person would raise their hand. And so then you're thinking, well, that's not really like we are working hard bar is super easy to get. Like what's, what's next. Um, and so if we're doing a throwing program for an infielder, it's, you know, how can I make this 10 minutes the most beneficial? Can we replicate, you know, barehanded plays? Can we replicate on the run? Um, because if you're just doing that for 10 minutes per day over the course of a season, that's thousands and thousands of throws rather than just, you know, getting your arm loose or, you know, moving your feet to, to make throws. But, you know, where is the process within the process of your, you already have? And I think that a lot of times, like really looking into mirror and, and breaking down everything that you're doing during the day, like, okay, you wake up, what was your nutrition like? Do you actually know that much about nutrition? Like looking back for me, my, my nutrition was very poor and I didn't really realize that it had that big of an impact on my playing career because I was like, well, I'm not getting fat. I'm not, you know, I'm not like out of shape, but I don't really realize what it does to the mind and what it does to the, the body overall. And so I think like really breaking down the process itself and instead of just thinking about the swing or just thinking about pitching, it's, you know, what's everything that's leading up to that? You know, okay, I'm doing this in the weight room. Like, why am I doing this? Does this actually align with what my goal should be on the mound or, you know, in the batter's box on defense and really just breaking it down like as, um, 
you know, detailed as possible in the most efficient manner that's possible. You, you talked about the defense. You keep on saying defense, defense, defense. And I, yeah. and I know how you feel. You're pretty adamant about this. Um, just, I'm going to say a saying, and I want you to, I want to get your initial reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, if you hit, you don't sit. It's true. I mean, it, it is true, but I always think, I always think this, like you typically know what you have offensively from a player like a player is once like we want to put him in the lineup because he can hit like we get it but it usually comes down to well where's he gonna play we don't have like that many openings like our best player is playing left or short or third like mm, all right like this guy he's above average hitter but like oh man he only plays second base it's like again going back to position versatility the more positions you can play the better it is for for your career and I just think that a lot of times it really does come down to defense because we already pretty much know what's what's going on offensively. It's, it's kind of like the Luke friend of ours, Luke Voigt um, with the Yankees. He got he's, he had 20 jacks mm-hmm. about – it was a year ago. Not this year because obviously he made a huge run with them. But yeah. he got cut – He well, not cut. Well, yeah. Let, he wasn't on the roster. He was furloughed for the NLDS or NLCS. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of that notion, and I, I'm thinking to myself, knowing Luke, he's probably thinking, I don't want this ever to happen again. Right. And that's when they started talking about outfield play and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It, and he's a big body dude. Like, how do you sit if you hit 20 jacks? If you're on a team and you hit 20 jacks, you're sitting. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think it goes back to then we start to think about like, okay, what other positions can the guy play? But like. What about the other, you know, 25, 30 years of our life? What have we been doing? Why couldn't we have learned to play, you know, center field, even though we were the best shortstop on our team? Like, where is, where is the, the necessity growing up in, in that that's, I think, overlooked? Because, you know, we as coaches, as players, we always want to play the premier positions. But, and I agree, but that shouldn't be the only position that we play. And I think a lot of it is, is ego centered. You know, if, if you're a parent, you always want your kid to play shortstop or, or be the number one pitcher. Or they like, we only pick shortstops. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, he's athlete, yeah. but also there's some other positions out there. And if he's able to play other positions outside mm-hmm. of shortstop, because yeah. as a coach, you tell me, it would be a lot easier to teach a guy that has some recollection of a recollection for right field or left field and mm-hmm. he's played a little bit of it rather than okay i'm going to pick up a shortstop and we're going to figure out how he can play right field because you know as well as i do some shortstops can't even read a fly ball mm-hmm. it's got awful yeah and i think a lot of it comes back to just having that perspective when you're younger so maybe if you're at practice and you've only played shortstop your whole life like take some some balls during bp in the outfield just for fun and um i think what you'll find is a lot of guys maybe get bored playing the same position over and over again, and they actually may enjoy moving around the field a little bit. Well, that's pitchers too, right? Yeah, move them all. <laughs> yeah, give them a perspective. The POs are out there doing fly balls. They're making dives, and like me <laughs> yeah. as a center field, I'm like, Jesus, come on, guys, move like, out of the let's way. Just, let's just ch- let's just relax. Yeah. We're fine. Uh, we don't need to show off. There's no fans here. Let's mm-hmm. just try to get through this BP session so that we can actually get to the game. Right. But exactly. Anyways, I mean, look at Mariano Rivera back in uh, when Kansas mm-hmm. City, he actually got hurt on a fly yeah. ball situation. Mm-hmm. But what's the X factor of a player who reaches that ultimate goal? You know, it kind of depends. Like, there's just so many different ways and, and different personalities that, that get there. And it, it's tough to really kind of say, like, what the one X factor is. But I would say 
one of the things would be consistency. And I think that people have a, a very poor job of evaluating themselves on consistency. So one example I'll use is, all right, if you're an outfielder, you're thinking, you always think that you're locked in each pitch, but are you? Like when you really think about outfield, you know, you may be there for 150 pitches and get zero balls and you have nobody standing around you within, you know, 50 feet of you to kind of get you locked in. And are you moving before the ball is even hit? Yeah. Are you anticipating? Are you locked in on the count, the hitter? Like what's the swing like? And I think that, you know, we all want to believe like, yeah, yeah, I'm focused. Like we, you know, buzzwords might be like work hard, focus, locked in. But in reality, are you? And, you know, how do you know? And, and so I, it's tough to know. I, I think that that's where it comes back to really like self-awareness and really reflecting um, on, on what your process is like between pitches. You know, you get 17 seconds between those pitches. Like, what are you thinking about then? How are you using that as like a loading mechanism to the next pitch? I always um, think back to that clip on ESPN where LeBron James literally recited pl- verbatim what happened on a play in like the third quarter mm-hmm. of a playoff game or if it was a regular season game. It was a re- I think it was a regular season game. That's what made it more impressive. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's many players out there that can recollect, oh, that guy threw me a curveball on a 2-1 count. Right. Or that guy threw me a 3-0 curveball just to get over. Mm-hmm. Like that type of stuff. I don't yep. think guys really think about it that way. Yeah, exactly. And and I just think that it comes down to self-awareness and then accountability probably being two of the more, um, you know, important qualities to, to get there. And when I say consistency, it's it's not just showing up every day and telling somebody how many hours you put in and what you did that day. It's like, what was in that? And when you think about baseball, you know, college baseball, you have your weekend series and you maybe have one midweek. So you kind of reload. But in professional baseball, you know, in the minor leagues, you're playing 140 games and, you know, you'll see guys go through certain waves of, of positives and negatives. And it's, you know, the, the guys that ultimately get there and stay there are the guys who can bring their, their best self as often as possible, no matter what kind of roller coaster they're going through. Which is tough because you're dealing with the, men, the mental side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, are you happy? Are you sad? Are you dealing with stuff outside of the right outside of the game? Did your wife yell at you or mm-hmm. throw a plate at you or <laughs> yeah. whatever, whatever the case may be? Right. right. Or she um, surprised you with a trip or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I, that is that is very interesting. I mean, in college, it could be multiple things. Cause you're dealing with so many hormones. Then obviously right. with high school players, Jesus, that's that's a whole <laughs> yeah. worms right there. Exactly. I, mean, I don't want to yeah. go back to high school. I don't know about you. No, I mean, no. th- those times were just different like you're like i can't believe that that we did this and that you know right but talk about um moving this needle forward on player development like what's actually working right now for you that you're noticing that could possibly be an implementation for someone coaching a youth team or or a college team or whatever you know, it kind of depends. I think um, one thing, like looking back on when I was a, a college coach that I wish I would have done better is had more one-on-one individual meetings with, with each guy and then also have like more of like an onboarding process. So if you're a freshman or let's say that you're a high school coach and, you know, you get a new player to your organization, how do you really make that guy more comfortable? You know, he's coming in with a new group. Maybe he has some anxiety about that. Maybe he doesn't really know um, what, what the team is teaching. And, and it's like, what do we do? And at what, you know, rate can we make him feel more comfortable and what that process is like? And, 
Um, I think that, you know, like for example, when we draft a player, we take them through this whole process and, you know, really looking at it from different perspectives. And, you know, we've all been that first, that, you know, that new person at a new job and, you know, you're trying to remember everyone's name and then your boss is, you know, wherever he's at. And it's all of a sudden, it's like, you're kind of figuring it out on your own, mm-hmm. which I think there is some of that, that you're always going to have to have, but you know, it's well, a growing process too, right? You got to right. have a little bit of that. You can't, For sure. just, you can't like coddle them into it. Right. Right. But as leaders, I think it's important to, to try to get to know guys in more of an individual basis and really kind of know what their personalities are like so that you can make them comfortable as quick as you can based on who they are. And that's the toughest part for, for the leader too, because you don't know them and maybe they're saying, you know, all the right things, but they're really feeling something different. And it's, you know, I think that's part of, um, you know, human, um, you know, emotional intelligence to to try to read those things and and put guys in in the right um, environments. And it goes back to that leader, right? Because we've all, we all know how the, and I think that's so true. It's a really good point. Like the onboarding process. I go back to my junior college coach. He was, he was rough and tumble and Mm -hmm. he would curse a lot and he would put a lot of fear into you. And, but then he'd build you back in and build you up. Um, and, and treated every single guy that was basically your, your zero right now. Mm-hmm. You're, there's no this and that. And then I've had other coaches where it's been, um, you're our top guy. Yep. You're, you're the dude I'm relying on you. This is, this is it. And there'd be no really introductions. It was just, you're, you're, you're my guy. Right. And then you have Tim Corbin from Vanderbilt who literally puts, you can't, you don't earn the logo. Mm-hmm. You don't get the logo until you make the squad and every guy has literally just a number and black mm-hmm. and gold lettering and yep. you're not a, you're not a Commodore yet. Mm-hmm. You've, you've got to earn it. Yeah. And I think that that's just a great example of as much as we say that we don't want to be entitled or we don't want to take things for granted. It's just human nature. We you're, do. You're going to, right? We're going to. And like, when we think about this pandemic, like we never really realized like how much we enjoy just going to dinner with, you know, a normal environment or, you know, going to a sporting game where there's people sitting next to you. And, you know, as much as we can say, like, you know, I'm not going to take it for granted anymore. It's just human nature. We are at some, at some degree. And I think that, you know, if we can always remind ourselves and, um, and realize like how fortunate we all really are, you know, even during this, this current process, um, you know, what I've taken for granted is like face recognition. Yeah, exactly. everyone, everyone's wearing masks. Like I felt so bad. There was a tiger alumni in our gym, uh, in the gym I was working at it. Mm-hmm. I didn't recognize him because he had a mask on. Right. And like, I totally missed him. He's like, did you not see me? It's like, bro, <laughs> like, <laughs> that's like, that's yeah. like me trying to pick out Jesse James when he's robbing a, robbing a train. I have yeah. no idea. He's wearing a mask. I don't know right. who that guy is. Yeah. It's like a superhero. It's like that whole thing. Like where it's like Clark Kent and Superman when he puts on that, um, that suit, even though his face is there, mm-hmm. you don't recognize him because he has a different outfit on, right? Right, right. It's I, I'm I cannot wait until we can be in a normal type of setting where we can actually go into a restaurant and then you see somebody and be like, oh hey, what's up? And then you actually enjoy right. enjoy the conversation. Mm-hmm. So, um, pitching versus hitting de- development. Explain the differences and how we've gotten to this point of predictable results with throwing hard versus hitting seems like it's so unpredictable. Yeah. And, and like, because you can almost predict a guy's going to throw 100. Like, oh, that guy has fast twitch muscles. We just mm-hmm. got to get him out into a program and, that, and he's going to throw 100. Mm-hmm. Hitting-wise, 
I I don't know if he's got this guy's going to hit for power or not hit for power, mm-hmm. or if we can get him power if he can actually hit a 95 mile an hour fastball because there's there's that variable too. Does he have yeah. the eye hand coordination? He might have the fast twitch, but does he have the eye hand coordination? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to the variables. As a pitcher, you control most of the variables. As a hitter, you're reactionary. So even if you have the best swing, it doesn't mean you're going to pitch. But if or it doesn't mean you're going to hit. But if you're a pitcher and you have good stuff and you throw strikes, you're probably going to be successful. But as a hitter, there's so many different variables because you're reacting. The pitcher has the most power on the field. And then you have the hitter who is then reactionary. Then you have the defense who there's nine of them just kind of waiting around for very low frequency events. And so each level of the game becomes way more variables, way less frequent um, because then you have base runners and then comes like, a, it becomes a wicked environment rather than a predictable environment. Right. Cause I guess like in golf you can end up, it's, it's a more predictable right. type of environment versus yeah. baseball. Golf, golf hitting would be more like baseball pitching rather than just comparing it to the hitter because you're not reacting to anything as the golf hitter. Except you have, you just have courses, right? The right. Different types of courses. Mm-hmm. And you got to teach those skills to that. Yeah. And, and you then, can actually teach like someone pitcher, to drive something. Yeah. As a pitcher, you have different hitters, you know, you know, different sizes, different handedness, switch hitters, you know. And so, but at the end of the day, you decide when to throw it. You decide, you know, what you're going to throw, how you're going to hit it. But as a, as a hitter, you're just t- trying to take your best tools inside the box and then just figure out. Do you think like there's a point where you could teach someone how to like have power because like that's the big that's the big like marketing buzzwords right now driveline promotes oh we can teach you how to throw faster as a pitcher and they're starting to go down this hitting route which is very impressive like they have a really good program do you think that there's going to be a point where we can actually teach power to somebody and get a higher exit velocity off of that um i think there's there's some things that we can do but it's just then comes down to will it translate in the game from the pitching side, when things, uh, when you improve a guy's velocity, it's pretty easily translated to the game. But on the on the hitting side, you may do some things in the weight room or do th- do some things mechanically that are actually increasing his exit velocity off the tee or front toss or flips. But at the end of the day, is it going to translate on the field when it matters the most? And that's like always the you know number one question. Gotcha. Well, we're at the tail end of this. And I really don't know how to end this, this <laughs> podcast because there's been a lot of information. I, I really wanted to do like a deep dive into um, professional baseball and how the hierarchy of the organization um, and then also on the player development side, get a little bit more into that because we did, guys, if you haven't listened to episode 24, we did really deep on um, the player development side, but there were some remaining questions that we, that I didn't get the chance to ask um, Jason. So with your, with the tail end of this, what is your closing pitch on kind of wrap this thing into a bow to give more value, to give value to coaches that are listening? I would say, you know, there's like, if you're coaching a team and there's, you know, 20, 25 players, it's, you know, it's your job to be parts of all of those 25 players rather than all 25 of them adjusting just for you. And then you have to do that authentically. And I think that sometimes as coaches, we may think like this is our style. This is how we, you know, this is how we do it. This is what I believe in, which is good. We need that. But at the end of the day, you have to be there for each guy as an individual first. 
rather than the flip side where all of them have to adjust just for you because they're the ones playing. It's all about them and it's not about us. And so I think that when you really kind of take that perspective, you may look at, you know, your process and your um, development for each player and really kind of challenge, why do you do something like that? Why do the outfielders play catch like that? You know, why do you allow that? You know, where, where do you want to draw the line on these things? You know, how intense do you want to be on their secondary leads or, you know, all the little things that you may have blinders on right now, it's important to, to really kind of look in, look into the each day's process, ask a lot of other people, you know, their advice. Um, and then, you know, you, you never know. And, um, just, just love each guy. Like, like they're your own. I would say like the closing pitch to this for me and something that I've learned from you is the ego is something that you have to battle with on an everyday basis, especially mm. in the baseball world. Cause there's so many guys out there that like to peacock, get their chest big. Um, they say, Oh, my, my way or the highway. Just look at Twitter. Just literally go on mm. Twitter and scroll and you'll see every dude that comes up with a, with a crazy ass drill or come up with a drill that everyone wants to implement that type of stuff. They're, they're, they're really peacocking themselves out there. And there's some really good guys that have really good information, but mm. I think it's just setting back and saying, um, I mentioned this with, um, one of our directors on a WebEx, um, when we're, we're going to post that to our Facebook account and our YouTube channel. And I said, one of the guys that I really find interesting in, um, the finance world is George Soros. And the reason I find him interesting and whether he's right or wrong, and I, that's a whole nother story. If you're into the politics side of things, I'm just saying from a finance side of things, he's known to make decisions, change his mind consistently. And that's the only thing that you can really know really rely on is that George is going to make an inconsistent decision where he's going to say, Nope, I was wrong on here. I'm going to make, this mm -hmm. is what's right. I think that baseball needs to do that a little bit more rather than stick in their ways of this is my way or the highway. This is always going to be right till death do us part. Mm -hmm. This is, this is how you become a better hitter. I think we yeah. need to have a little bit more of that. And just hearing you from the Astros side of things and how you're teaching is I'm setting that ego aside. I'm trying to find different ways that are actually mm -hmm. going to work and get a guy to the show. Cause that's what really yeah. matters. Yeah. It's almost like consistently be inconsistent in the approach that you take. Exactly. Um, because you're always challenging it. Like, Sometimes I drive myself crazy because my thought that I went on a, a tangent for and started a project on, I'm three days in and all of a sudden I'm like, I don't, I don't like this at all. But I would say the old me would have just went through with it because I didn't want to waste all the time that I already put on it. But it's important to like, like kind of train your thoughts and your um, actions to um, kind of lead down that path because that's how you're going to grow the most. Yeah. It's kind of like the price, the price of gold going back to investments, price of gold at some point, gold is going to be a really strong investment. But then at some point in time, that's going to be a really bad investment. Mm -hmm. So you got to be willing to make the decision of, all right, I'm, I'm putting my chips in. Here's all my gold. I want my money mm -hmm. or, Hey, I need more gold into my portfolio. It's the same, right. it's the same concept. And we could go different analogies on this um, back and forth, but right. definitely right. So, well, I appreciate you coming on to the show and your limited time here in St. Louis. And this might be your last hoorah in St. Louis for a while, right? Yeah. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah. You know, I always enjoy coming home. This is, this is where I, where I grew up, went to college. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, hopefully baseball is as normal this year and 
hopefully I'm busy all throughout the year. There it is. Guys, um, please subscribe to the show if you have not subscribed yet. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. This is um, a show about people, culture, and how to create a winning lifestyle. This is more on the baseball route. There's some some career stuff in there as well. Um, please go back, listen to episode 24 with Jason on player development. Until next time, we'll catch you later. See ya. Thank you for watching or listening or both to The Closing Pitch. If you'd like to get your closing pitch featured on the show, we use a podcasting app called Anchor where you can submit your statement or question via audio. Or what you can do is comment in the comment section of this post. We also accept direct messages. Please give us the A-OK if you do send us a DM to use your statement or question on the show. Last thing, please give us a review on your platform of choice five star preferably and we value your opinion and this allows us to reach more people thank you for listening and we will catch you in the next episode